American podcasters are lost in the swirling maze of past and future ages during their latest series of movie reviews. It's the Time Shifters Podcast. We're going to attempt time travel. Welcome to the Time Shifters Podcast. This show discusses film and television from the long and recent past as well as the news and events surrounding them. We thank you for tuning in and would love to hear from you. Follow the link in the show notes to all our social media and websites, or send us an email to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. All I'm asking you to do now is to witness a demonstration of the possibility of movement within the fourth dimension. Everyone, and welcome back to Time Shifters. This is Christopher, and I am here with Tom. Tom, how the heck have you been? I am peachy keen, I have to say. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No more vacations. <laughs> no, sorry. All mine are coming up. I have another month and a half, and I get a bunch of days off in June, so I'm kind of looking forward to that. Oh, see, we got... We got a hold of our summer hours, and to add to our summer hours, uh, they're giving us five days off for the Memorial Day weekend and five oh. days off for the July Fourth weekend. Like, nice. Now they're not. Now they're not holiday weekends. They're holiday weeks. <laughs> yeah, like, that's not a bad thing. No, no, I'm not arguing it, it, that at it all. It feels very kind of European or something, <laughs> ex- except for the fact that they're American holidays. <laughs> Yeah, I'm afraid we you don't. Uh, they don't do Memorial Day <laughs> in no, July or, or, or over in or, France. Or, yeah, or Independence Day. Yeah. yeah, no. In fact, I'm pretty sure England's kind of anti against that one. <laughs> <laughs> They're not really into the July Fourth holiday at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's treasonous, treasonous Colonial Day. <laughs> yeah. I think on, on for them. Ungrateful bastards. <laughs> <laughs> got a little bit to talk about today i don't remember if i've mentioned this on the show prior or not but uh the weekend after this episode airs is a very very sad weekend actually it's kind of a bittersweet weekend and it's Um, uh, totally associated with the show it is it is very much associated with the show Anyone, if you're listening to the show, who's been listening to the show since like the beginning or the early days of Time Shifters, knows that a whole lot of interviews and a whole lot of stories have come out of the Denver, Colorado Starfest. Uh, it was announced this past month that the Starfest that is going to be going on uh, May 13th, 14th, and 15th of 2022 will be the last Denver Starfest. And that is. Um, that's crushing because a whole bunch of us used to all converge on this thing from all over the country. And we hadn't been there for a good, maybe 10 years now, just because, you know, life gets in the way for everybody. And we'd all hope we all thought we'd be back someday. And this was dropped way too late in the, in the year for us to make any kind of plans to try to get there. So there's a whole bunch of us that are really bumming <laughs> that the last Starfest is going to go by without us having an opportunity to come back and visit again. It's uh, It was a fantastic uh, convention. It was a family-run con. It was not a corporate-run con or anything. Mm-hmm. But it was a huge con. It was science fiction. It was horror. It was science. It was robotics. It was model-making, art. I mean, it was an entertainment convention. Mm-hmm. And it was so much fun. It was always kind of like a big family atmosphere. 
And when you have that kind of a mix, so many different genres coming together and all mixing, it just, oh my God, it's just the people watching and <laughs> being able to see, you know, there's people that are just kind of there for the horror stuff. And so you got all the people in the, you know, black jeans and t-shirts with the horror, you know, yeah. themes and whatever. And then they're passing by people wearing robes and carrying magic wands. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's such a surreal environment. That really is what made it special. I remember you sharing a video of like, uh, I guess there's a, there was a party or something and the costumes, they're like, it's such an eclectic mix of, of, of characters and genre and, and all that. And it's the just Federation insane. Ball. The Federation Ball happened every Saturday night. And yeah, that that was where you get to see like Superman getting down with Princess Leia. <laughs> <laughs> my gosh, it was such a fun time. I mean, I went there, I was looking at my passes that I've got lined up on the wall here. The earliest pass I think was two thousand seven, and I know I went for two or three years before that when they didn't actually have the big lanyard passes and they just had like, uh, you know, the wristbands or something like yes. that. So yeah, I, I went for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 to 12 years in a row. Wow. Uh, before I had to like stop going, it was just, it was a drain on the finances. <laughs> uh, there was some behind the scenes drama that, that last year too that just kind of took the wind out of the sails a little bit. So it was like, okay, I need to back away a little bit and maybe take some of this money and put it towards local conventions and things like that. Yeah. But yeah, I'd, I'd always hope to get back. You know, I, I, I was never intended to be a goodbye to Starfest. And to now know that I'll never get that opportunity to truly be there and say farewell to it. it no it, closure. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's it's very unfortunate. Uh, if anyone's in the area and can make it out there, I you owe yourself <laughs> to you know give it a shot. Grab the tickets, go for a day or something, and send us pictures and such. Oh yeah, absolutely. Please, the, there's all kinds of um, picture opportunities. Uh, I came out with some great videos and and photographs every year that I went. We used to go and do panels, you know, host actual panels, the big discussion panels. And mm. there would be a few that we'd, we'd pack the room. We did one, one of the final years, I want to say it might have been 2012 or something like that, where we did uh, New Who and the Who You Knew. <laughs> <laughs> so it was all about kind of comparing and contrasting, the, you know, the current Doctor Who versus the classic Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. And we packed the room. We had standing room only. Oh, wow. And it was it was such a great it was like one of the first panels of the day and we packed them in and like that that was pretty awesome uh way back in 09 i guess it was i did one called trekker wreck where we talked about the first jj abrams star trek <laughs> <laughs> that was a really fun discussion well, i'm gonna go with you went with wreck but <laughs> <laughs> well we actually had a really nice discussion about that and came away really positive uh, you know on on every everyone came away with kind of a, a positive feeling off of the, of the whole thing. So it was a lot of fun. Very cool. I admittedly, uh, I was kind of hoping, uh, knowing how, what that one meant to you, uh, how it relates to the show that it would have been one of those ones I could have gotten to at some point. And apparently that's not going to happen. No, I'm afraid not. Yeah. And 
they gave the media and they included websites and podcasts, you know, like like me, mm-hmm. like time shifters. They gave us all full access like they would if you were the local uh, news. All right. And they would they, they gave us a room that you, we could set up as in the media room. We we had an interview room. It wasn't you know you didn't have to like quite a, you didn't have to try to sequester some guests you know in the corner and have all the noise. There was a quiet room away from everything, and they bring the guests you know the celebrity guests or whatever to the room, and we would you'd have scheduled times. I mean it was brilliant the kind of access that we had to the celebrities that would attend. And so we got some fantastic interviews that honestly probably would not have gotten otherwise. Yeah, no, I, I was always a little stunned with who and who you could talk to and for how long. <laughs> yeah, I depending you just on sound bites. <laughs> no, there were times when we would get a good 10, 15 minutes with somebody. You know, depending on the guest, depending on their on their schedule mm-hmm. and depending on how many people wanted to talk to them. Uh, we would get an amazing amount of time. Uh, Summer Glau was, of course, a big highlight for me. It always will be. She was an absolute joy to talk to. I think it was that same year that I met and talked to uh, Christopher Judge from Stargate SG-1, who was a blast to talk to. That man is... (laughs) He's just fun. (laughs) He was a really fun guy. John Noble... From Fringe. I got to sit down and talk to John Noble. Wow. That was huge. Yeah. All these interviews, if you're interested, uh, go to the Time Shifters. Go to timeshifterspodcast.com and click on the archive, uh, interview archive tab at the top of the page and just start scrolling through. It all says where the interviews came from. And you'll see just dozens of them that came out of Starfest. Yeah. And they're all great. I mean, I'm, I'm proud of every one of them just really pleased that Starfest gave me the opportunity yeah and really pleased that i had the opportunity to enjoy Starfest and enjoy everything it had to offer and i'm very sorry to see it go so yeah it's a little sad but yeah i just wanted to mention that because i didn't i'm pretty sure i had not mentioned it on the show before because i know i haven't gushed like this and <laughs> and kind of did my little uh there, in 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 memorial there, there there's no it. way you would have brought it up where it didn't lead to this conversation <laughs> right and i know this hasn't happened so so let's talk about something happier i've been re-obsessed with the old japanese iron chef oh yeah <laughs> i have found 7 seasons of it on imdb tv yes and I have been working my way back through them. Unfortunately, they, they start whatever year uh, that Masahari Morimoto uh, took over as, Ap- as uh, Iron Chef Japanese. Yeah. That's where the uh, these seasons start. So they don't have the ones prior, which is a little unfortunate because I was a big Machiba fan. <laughs> I like the previous Iron Chef Japanese. Uh him and his broth of vigor. I was always always looking forward to it, and so they don't have any of those, so it's a little disappointing. But it's still... I was obsessed with this show back when it was on the Food Network. Everything I, I read says it aired on the Food Network first in 1999, so yeah. I probably came across it probably in 99, 2000, yeah. and could not get enough of that show. Loved that show, and it is so much fun sitting down and watching this show again. Um, 
if it helps, and I don't know if it dips as far back as you want to go, but I did uh, see recently that Pluto has an entire channel devoted to it. Do they? they do. I will investigate that. Yeah. Like, uh, like I said, I don't know where they where they make the line, assuming they even have a line, but I, I know of the previews that they showed. It was some of the old stuff, so... <laughs> That would be very cool. I will definitely be checking that out. Yeah. It, it, it's it's a good time. At one point, I had a DVR filled with every episode because I didn't want to delete them. <laughs> and that DVR died. <laughs> no, those were so much fun. And, and even when they brought, uh, when um, the Food Network came up with its Americanized version, but they still had um, some of the uh, Iron Chef's from Japan involved, it, that was still kind of fun. <laughs> I couldn't get into the American version. I tried when it came on. I, I tried watching it, and it just, it was missing that something that the Japanese version had. Yeah, there, there, there is that, but, I mean, Alton was along for the, the ride, so I can't, I can't fault whenever Alton Brown's involved. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think maybe it was the... Um, just some of the Japanese sensibility. The tenor of a sh- of a Japanese show is way different. Um, everything's far more intense, more excited, more rush. It's like electric and formal too. That's yeah. what's another thing I enjoy. It's it's, it's all very formal as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no con- conversing with the chefs as they uh, work on their their dishes. It's just the intensity of watching. The, the chef the competing chefs and their sous chefs all try to get all this stuff together and it just yeah <laughs> I read uh, and just recently reread uh, the complete Iron Chef book <laughs> <laughs> and which included interviews with all the Iron Chefs and all the different people you know the producers and, and everything involved and including the floor reporter and they he he told the story once where the you know the the showrunners wanted him to go and ask the Iron Chef some question or interview the Iron Chef in the middle of a battle. Mm-hmm. He's like, and Oda said, "I knew this was a mistake," <laughs> but he's like, he walked up and put the microphone in his face, and all he just he just got shot. But like, not now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like never again. <laughs> nope. No, hey, I mean, yeah, they're. <laughs> Because it is formalized, like you said, so uh, they are under this exact time crunch. I, I don't know that there's that. Everything that we do here has a polish to it that suggests that no matter what they're telling you, it's not real. Because so maybe the the timeline that you supposedly have in some of these timed events. Um, in the U.S. stuff, feels artificial. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel artificial in the in the Japanese one, and and it wasn't unless everyone that's interviewed in this book is lying, right? Including the Iron Chefs and everything. Really early, the early early years, they literally had no idea what was going to be announced as the theme ingredient, right? And latter years, they would get hints, mm-hmm. but it would be like. It could be one of these five things, but that's as close as they would ever get. Or maybe they would go, well, we know it's a seafood. I mean, that's that's it. Right. That that would be the hint. They had no idea. So when that 
food rises out of that thing and it and it's announced that's the first time that they know what they're going to be cooking that, that's amazing to me you just you can't do that and you talking about in the early days they didn't even get a hint right that's got to be intense because at least if you're given a hint you're told it's seafood uh, for chefs like that there's already a combination of things regardless of what they pull out they mm-hmm. have some things in mind that they could do with that but right yeah all of us but if you got no no shot whatsoever and all of a sudden rutabaga <laughs> you're like what the hell do i do with a rutabaga has anyone in China even heard of a rutabaga? Right. I'm a Chinese chef for crying out loud. Right. Right. So, yeah, for all of, yeah, that's got to be some serious um, sweating time. Right. Anything else to watch? Yeah, I, just, I decide I'm not going to get involved in a movie. Yeah, I can knock out a couple Iron Chefs. No, I feel, yeah. Actually, I, now, now you kind of got me in the mood to maybe go to sleep to the sound of... Fukusan. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to remember what it was that they keep saying every time they want to interrupt somebody. (laughs) It's it's really fun because I'm sitting there, my wife's sitting there, and I'll be watching, you know, when it first started, I'd be watching a few, and I'm enjoying them and everything. And then you get to the certain point about in that, you know, the the next season or later in the season that I'm watching or whatever, when the voices finally kind of get hammered down. And I'm like, oh, good. This is the one. This is it. This is like Golden Iron Chef because they had all the right people doing all the voices. <laughs> you know, Yukio Hitori needs to be this voice. Right. <laughs> you know, it can't be anybody else. So I, when I want to hear when when uh, Fukusan goes down and interview and said and mentions who the guests and everything, and of course our you know commentator Doctor Yukio Hitori, I want to hear that that voice I'm not familiar with go. Always a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Chairman Kaga's got to be subtitled, and Yuko Hattori has got to have this one. That's, that's kind of like the Riker's beard moment <laughs> for me, you know? <laughs> Every, everything pre-beard is no good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's what's been occupying my my evenings here as of late. Uh, I can't say mine are that, uh, as exciting. Um, uh, interestingly enough... Uh, at least over the past weekend, I've taken to uh, um, watching the the Paramount Plus series Halo. Uh, okay. Um, and was immediately uh, by a friend of ours, uh, was <laughs> our our, our com- friend in common, Paul, had said, "You really want to watch that?" Because <laughs> <laughs> apparently he was a fan of the game. Um, and much like people go, it's nothing like the book. <laughs> he was mm. going, it's nothing like the game. And I'm like, well, that's okay, because I never got into the games. So what I'm seeing, I'm actually kind of enjoying. Uh, the The effects level is off the charts. Uh, oh, that's good. It looks absolutely stunning. Um, the action level, when, when there is actually battle... Um, it, it, it's at an intensity level that I was not expecting. Um, even in the video game, it's not quite nearly as harsh as it comes off in the show. So, um, your very first introduction to the alien race as they, they show up on a planet, 
Um, the use of their weapons is rather devastating um, and graphic. <laughs> um, oh, gotcha. Um, but they do it in such a way that it, it, it's graphic without being like body gore over the top. Mm, okay. it, it is just clear horrible things are happening. <laughs> But it's not so gory that you can't 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 take it. But I'm totally digging the storyline. There, there's clearly a mystery here. I'm not ha- I'm not even halfway through this season yet. But uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. It's just now I have to wait till Jack's available. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't want to watch it without him. <laughs> yeah, there's there's um there's a few shows here and there that my wife is taken to enjoying and now I have to sit and wait until she's actually awake and free and whatever to, to watch them. We still have not finished, uh, the expanse. We still got an entire season, of the expanse waiting. I'm afraid I'm doing the final season of expanse. The, the way that I do way too many things and I hope I don't ruin it where I don't want it to be over, so I'm not getting to it yet. Because as long as I'm not watching it, it's still there. That's right. <laughs> but I remember the the there have been a few shows in the past where I I kept holding on and trying to savor that last little morsel that somehow I missed the opportunity to savor that last little morsel and i i would miss something but hopefully please please amazon don't just go ah we're gonna take all of expanse down now yeah <laughs> don't do that to me not yet <laughs> or take it off a of prime please don't yeah <laughs> don't make me have to pay for this <laughs> yeah yeah oh god yeah please <laughs> That's, it's one thing if you want to rent a, mo- a movie it's another thing if you're gonna rent a series Exactly. That gets a little little much. So Yeah. But yeah, so I've been enjoying that and then um just because it's coming out next week. I I, I know you're you're more reserved about it because Star Trek has hurt you in the past several years. <laughs> um Oh does Strange New World start Strange up? New World starts up next week. Okay. I am super excited for it. Well, maybe by the time we uh, sit down and record again, an episode will have passed or two. So, one, we'll, one hopefully one or two will have gotten under the belt. But yeah, I'm really excited for it. I'm cautiously optimistic. Mm-hmm. You know, we shall see. But definitely, the people behind it, the people, you know, the actors. I'm I'm all for. Mm-hmm. I I liked what I saw when they were on um, Discovery. Right, and well, they've been doing character bio stuff. The little snippets of uh, of what to expect out of some of them, and those look very interesting. I've taken to avoiding some things like that. I, I haven't because uh, I mean they're they are being very good about not giving more. That's the idea is they want you to know that first off, and part of what I like. Is by them doing that, I am hoping they are correcting the problem that Discovery has had, which is Discovery has a crew and pays no attention to them. Um, In this case, they're literally putting the crew members out there as, these are people you need to know because you're going to live with them. This is your crew. You're going to want to know them. And interestingly enough, of all of those um, little character bios that I've seen them put out, there isn't one for Pike and there isn't one for Spock. 
Oh, okay. Because you don't need it. You've already met them. That's true. We know who they are, right? So when they reintroduce, like they're introducing a younger Uhura, she she's on board. Mm. Don't mm, me <laughs> get, get on board. Damn it! <laughs> no, come on. It actually, I, 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 and they have it. It's going to ruin you then. That Kirk's there. Um, yeah. But again, no, I, I, I'm actually digging some of this because this is the original. This is supposed to be the original series Enterprise mm-hmm. before Kirk is in command. Many, 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 many years before Kirk is in command. So it would make sense in, in any kind of military outfit of any kind that they there might be crew members that are already there. <laughs> so. I'm good with it. I like it. All right. Fair enough. So get on board, damn it. I hate to be one of those people that go, it's not canon. (laughs) No. But. I'm sorry. uh, I I am actually on board with the idea of like, okay, we did grow up with the cardboard sets and the Christmas lights and all that. And in 1960-whatever, that was all well and good, and it was kitschy that, like, the next gens and the Deep Space Nines and all of that, if they would revisit anything related to the original series, they still kept the aesthetic and the look. Right. This is supposed to be straight up a series about that. I am okay with retconning the tech to make it look... Like a real damn spaceship. <laughs> I can live with retconning the technology. <laughs> I'm not okay with them retconning the histories of characters we know. I I just it's one of those things where if Kirk had been a a uh, ensign or whatever he was on board the Enterprise, it just seems like something like 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 that would have been mentioned. <laughs> Is it? I would think when? somehow. When would you have wanted that mentioned? I don't know. It just seems like it would have come up somewhere in the last 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, given the story, and who knows, maybe it's in one of the thousand books Shatner had, had written for Star Trek <laughs> <laughs> that nobody read. <laughs> no, I-, I will... I will go in with an open mind. I am not. I'm, I'm not discounting the entire thing. I I will watch with an open mind, and we will see what happens. That's all that I ask. <laughs> the, right? Because I'm with you on some of it. Like Discovery is a cheese grater down my back. I, I I want to like it, and it disappoints me every time I try to watch it. And I hate that it does. <laughs> Why won't you let me love you? <laughs> right, exactly. It is totally that. that um, yeah, no, I just, I can't, I can't, I try, I can't. Picard is its own little thing. I, I can appreciate it, but I mean, it isn't, it isn't what I'm looking for out of Star Trek. So I'm just going to leave it at that for that, especially since I'm not that far through the second season yet mm, either. Okay. So, uh, I mean... Um, yeah, I'm an episode or two behind, I think, at this point. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I'm only up to four, I, I, and I haven't watched four yet, so... Oh, like, gotcha. Uh, I'm not deep enough. I'm definitely in. ahead of you, so, yeah, I will... Yeah, mum's the word. Yeah, no, no, don't do not do nothing. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but, I mean, 
But this is, again, this is, for me, uh, at least I can forgive that it's literally called Picard. So it's going to focus on him and what's going on around him. And they actually have a a better cast, and we actually get a little bit more with some of the other characters than Discovery is doing. So uh, I can appreciate that. But again, it's not really that sense of, hope and exploration and all the stuff that I really get into when I watch Star Trek. So the fact that they really say that Strange New Worlds is supposed to be that recapturing of the hope, the joy, the exploration, that sense of wonder. Mm -hmm. If they deliver on that, I am going to lose my mind. (laughs) It will be amazing. I need it. I want it. Please bring it. <laughs> yeah, so. agreed. All right, Trek rant over. Yeah. I think it's time to move on. <laughs> we got a movie to talk about. Yeah, let's take a break. We'll play a promo for another podcast. And when we return, we look at 1978's TV movie version of The Time Machine. podcast features replays of old radio shows like X-1, Escape, Suspense, Lights Out, and many more. Also, about once a month, I sure am trying, it will also feature full cast readings of new and classic stories, as well as new flash fiction. Think of it as a variety pack of audio fiction. It's a happy meal for your ears, or if you don't like happy meals, it's like the toy chest you used to dive into when you went to the dentist as a kid. Come check it out at journeyintopodcast.blogspot.com So come with me and let's journey into space or into adventure or into fear or into mystery or into the unknown or into... NBC presents... Classics Illustrated. Immortal masterpieces by the world's greatest authors. Classics of literature. The great works of the world's most renowned storytellers. Robert Louis Stevenson. James Fenimore Cooper. Herman Melville. Edgar Allan Poe. Stephen Crane. In tonight's Classics Illustrated presentation, young scientist hurdles the barrier of time. 
finds himself locked in a struggle to prevent the destruction of Earth. It's a tale of one man's love and devotion in the world of the future. An exciting new version of H.G. Wells' masterpiece, The Time Machine. Starring John Beck as Neil Perry, Priscilla Barnes as Weena, Andrew Duggan as Worthington, Jack Crucian as John Bedford, Rosemary DeCamp as Agnes, and Whit Missile as Branley. Updated telling of H.G. Wells' 1895 novella was a made-for-TV movie that aired on NBC in 1978. Uh, as Tom pointed out before we started recording, during Sweeps Week, <laughs> I am wow. I would love to know how this, how well this did for him. It stars John Beck as Doctor Neil Perry, time machine inventor, and Priscilla Barnes as a Weena, girl of the future. Neil Perry works for Mega Corporation. He has been funneling money into a pet project, the creation of a time machine, rather than working on a laser death ray. When his funding is pulled and he's ordered to begin work on an antimatter bomb, he takes the opportunity to test his machine. He travels to the past and is almost burned at the stake as a witch in 1692, and upon escaping that is almost shot as a claim jumper in a gold mine in 1871. Returning to the lab successfully, he learns of a new report that shows projections of megacorporations' weapons' environmental impact and that it could destroy the planet. Thinking he could travel to the future to gather proof of the damage the corporation is doing, he again breaks the fourth dimension and finds himself in the idyllic land of the Eloy. The paradise is shattered when the underground-dwelling Morlocks emerge to harvest the Eloy. Perry has to fight to free the Eloy and reclaim his time machine from the cannibalistic Morlocks. Whit Bissell, who appeared in the 1960 time machine as Walter Kemp, one of George's friends, appears in this film as well. And we also saw him in the time tunnel as the lead scientist of Project TikTok, Haywood Kirk. It's always nice to see Whit Bissell show up again. He's just one of those character actors where it's kind of like, hey, Whit Bissell. <laughs> If no other reason, it's fun to say his name. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> we, as we discussed last time, that when we mentioned that we were going to be watching this one, it had been ages since either one of us had seen this, and it was likely. Let's see if this came out in 1978. Likely, what 80, 82, probably around that time. It saw it on television. Yeah, I remembered some of it. I I remembered the look of the time machine. Yeah. I didn't like it then. I don't like it now. <laughs> it's extremely... You know, that's what's weird. The Time Machine in 1960, with all its brass and its intricate and its curling metal and the big dish and everything, it it's, it's very, I guess, uh, would that be Victorian or Edwardian back in the day? Victorian. Um, and for some reason, I don't feel like that's dated. But when I look at this Time Machine... I think, wow, that's the 70s. <laughs> uh, what's funny is that while you're you're picking on that, uh, I have to admit, my recollection of this, I remembered it far more fondly than clearly it was. Uh, oh. <laughs> and and, and I, I remembered the triangular uh, time machine, and I remember at the time thinking... That was pretty cool. Uh, that for me, uh, and especially, mm. again, I'm more mature now. <laughs> so, 
at the time in the early 80s when I would have caught this, uh, it traveling through time, quote unquote, through the swirling vortex and, and all of that, as the triangular thing lit up and glowed and all that, I was into it. But then again, how old was I then? <laughs> I wasn't right. even 10, maybe. So, yeah. <laughs> There's so many shots of him sitting in the chair with the big triangle behind him, but you can't see the the sides of the triangle and everything. It just looks like he's sitting in front of like a giant iron, like a steam iron. <laughs> it does have that quality to it. All the little pinholes and yeah. Well, and since we're on the topic of uh, the differences between um, the '60s, uh, the '61, and the uh, and the '78 one here. That first film went out of its way to get so many things like more correct, given that the given the parameters that they were setting for how time travel worked. They are suggesting mm-hmm. that you get into the, the machine by turning the machine on. You can watch time go backward and forward depending on the speed at which you're going through. Uh, to which they were even doing effects of you could watch flowers bloom or die and and, right. and the sun passed through the, the the light in the window and they they were doing all that and the one thing that I absolutely loved in that is it moved through time mm-hmm. nothing else right so that time machine no matter what was going to be on that spot on planet earth when, whenever it landed in time the 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 flaw the time traveling iron went wherever the hell it wanted. <laughs> yeah, well, we had no idea where Mega Corporation was located. No, I got but the we sense can it was assume California. It's or... California. Let's let, let's say it's in L.A. Maybe you know it's it's in Silicon Valley, something like that. San Francisco area. It, it's it, yeah. it's definitely the West Coast. Yes, and this time machine finds itself. In Massachusetts. <laughs> You're assuming the Salemish area. Yeah, thereabouts. And then suddenly decides to park itself in a mine somewhere in Colorado, <laughs> Arizona, maybe. Sure. Could be California from the gold rush, too, but. Uh, true. But, yeah, but still, it, it managed to cross the, the continent at one point. <laughs> right. Uh, so that the, that the was point so is, I doubt Mega Corporation is built on top of an old mine. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean to, that wasn't there in 1600, but was there, you know, 100 years later, 200 years later. Yeah, d- that thing went on different terrain. It went in d- different parts of the country. It was it that was that was just such a mess. And it's kind of funny that you mentioned the time tunnel uh, <laughs> for, from this because we are once again also met with a time-traveling scientist that doesn't seem to give a damn about what he may be doing in said time period. <laughs> yeah, no, no concern over the impact of his appearance in the past. Yeah, like, I, I'll almost forget give a little bit of the showing up in Puritan uh, New England 
quite right down to the pilgrim outfits, which was just ridiculous. But the fact that he, okay, oh my God, it worked. Okay, I'll give him a little credit. He shows up, oh my God, it worked. Oh, here's a woman running at me and she is terrified about something and she has fallen down. I give him that he forgot himself, that he went to help. But then he starts like telling everybody what it is, who he is, what he's got, and all that. And I'm like, what? <laughs> no, I'm a scientist. I use science. I use science, and that's my time machine, and this is my badge with my picture in it. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. No, I use these tools for good. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I'm just dumbfounded at okay he now clearly understands he's back in time but ah, i don't have to worry about the effect of me being here or talking to these people and all of that and damn that that court moves fast though don't it oh yes yes <laughs> he wasn't there but five minutes <laughs> you're gonna be burned as a witch and oh i see the pyre's ready yeah <laughs> Not only is the pyre ready, but, uh, I mean, I don't know what he made his time machine out of, but they managed to carry it. Did they? I don't think they did. I think they just actually built the fire wherever it yeah, landed. But weren't they in town? You're right. When they did actually find, when he when like, he left, they were all in town. Sitting, You're yeah, right. They're right there in town. So so apparently uh, our, our, our pilgrim buddies managed to go and lift this thing. <laughs> well, that's why it ended up in the gold mine. <laughs> <laughs> it all makes sense now well yeah and i mean considering they were chasing her through a, a farm field of some kind and we ended up back in town uh, they didn't just move it a little bit <laughs> they that thing traveled miles i didn't even think about that you're yeah yeah and, and that whole sequence only lasted it, 10 minutes tops <laughs> And, you know, once again, we get a time traveler that doesn't even pack himself a lunch. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My time machine's ready. I'm out of here. Uh, we could get into the whole how the computer even worked. I, I thought it funny that every time he tried to move through time um, with his time machine, his computer was constantly throwing up some sort of danger or error or yeah, I think I think what he actually did was an event in AI that knew time travel was a bad idea. <laughs> uh, and then I started doing the little dance because it's like we're in a time warp. Let's do the time warp <laughs> yeah. again. Yeah, yeah. To avoid time, something you know must slow down. Yeah, the whole time that his computer is telling him you shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> exactly. I'm like. And that that was the entertaining part of the film. <laughs> I think the um, the anti-war message that was in the 1960s version mm -hmm. was, while obvious, was not beaten over your head like it was in this one. I mean, it was slammed home pretty much from the get-go. He, he might as well have walked in the room and said, Hi, I'm Neil Perry, pacifist. <laughs> O only I make weapons. And the, that mega corporation is like evil because it's building this laser death ray and antimatter bomb. And, oh, well, we're, we're, blah, we work for the military. And like, okay, we get it. 
<laughs> and then the yes, the the magic report that he gets that I mentioned. Yeah. That it's like has all these projections about and this doesn't even include their new antimatter bomb. Oh, we're destroying the planet. Like, whew, wow. <laughs> you just expect little red lights and the ticker to go across, you know, important message. <laughs> and what drove me crazy too is our our pacifist scientist Neil Perry here. Well, he worked for them. At no point did, as you pointed out rather eloquently, they they hid nothing about the fact that we are the 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 military war machine for the U.S. and we are here to make money and kill people. They, yeah. it, it, it might as well have been their motto, uh, but we are here to make money and kill people. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. We get the impression that he's relatively new to the corporation, at least within the last, you know, six months, a year, something had time like that. Time to build a time machine, so I don't. Know. Yes, but still, they, they and were embezzled talking. money. Yeah. Well, it wasn't that he was embezzling. They said that they didn't mind him using company funds for his pet projects so long as he produced right. stuff for them, but. The fact that they were behind on the laser death ray, that's when it was all starting to come to a head. And they started wondering where the $20 million for his pet project, you know, what it was going to. His came in cheap compared to the time tunnel. That is true. <laughs> that was like $7 billion, I think, wasn't it? Something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, it was like $7 billion in 1950s money. <laughs> Well, his time machine didn't include flash pots. Well, that's true. It didn't. <laughs> it, it didn't include a crew of people sitting there watching television either. <laughs> right. <laughs> either way, he had been there long enough to know what they did to, to, for him to constantly be having the argument with them. Maybe we don't need to make these things. Or, hey, I'm making something so we can learn not to make these things. And... If anything, can we come up with a better name than Laser Death Ray? <laughs> what do you expect from Mega Corporation? This is the kind of stuff that Bart Fargo goes after. <laughs> they might as well have just called themselves Acme. <laughs> <laughs> right. Literally have Wiley Coyote as their <laughs> mascot. Yeah, his flights to the past were just they needed to pad the runtime of this film, I think, because they had no, they, they, it meant absolutely nothing. There was no consequence. Uh, and I really loved the fact that he goes and has these adventures and he comes back and he's like, I have proof. My time machine works. Let me tell you this great story about what happened. Like, yeah, you don't have proof. (laughs) You don't have proof. You have a story. You're dusty. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so the trips to the past, I just I I just don't know why they were there, other than like I said, to pad out the runtime. But, but they weren't even interesting. No, they weren't. They were just weird just weird little vignettes that would have fit better if this were like a if this were like a TV program and you know, this is like a abridged one of his adventures. You know one story could have been an entire episode of some bad 70s TV show. And why do two of them? Because, I mean, essentially, forgiving the fact that he somehow ended up on the East Coast um, to be burned as a witch, when he went to the gold mine thing, 
all it was was a rehash of what just happened there. He showed up. They they thought he was some nut job and they wanted to kill him. It was we did it. We did that one already. Let's yeah. do something different. Whereas the uh, the '60s one, they only went forward through time. But the way they did it, it was it, it was far more natural. He did it in short progressions. Uh, they actually went to the trouble of showing the effect of traveling in time a lot better than this. I mean, this thing's 18 years later. Granted, it's made for TV movie, but I was hoping for a little more. <laughs> yeah, he just mildly taps a couple key commands on his keyboard and off he goes. Yeah, like even the lighting on there wasn't all that interesting. I mean, like it was more fun to watch the disc turn on the back of the other one. <laughs> It's got the lights in the bottom that like strobe. It starts and they, it, it gets faster and faster. So when he's actually traveling, they're effectively just on. So that makes them not interesting. <laughs> well, and well, and maybe we can assume he had something, but our previous adventure, the crystal key that he plugged into the terminal to make the thing work in the first place. Mm-hmm. He always took it out. Right. And with yeah. him, no matter what he was doing in whatever time that he was in. I got this sense that you could sit at Mr. Perry's uh, um, machine and just hit enter. Yeah. <laughs> and you, so anybody that just kind of happened along could have sat down in his chair and go, What's this? Blink. Oh. What's the up arrow do? Right. I'm yeah. in the year 3000. That was weird, man. The whole thing. Uh, it just, and that mustache. God. <laughs> yeah, you could at least come up with him having to make sure he had to type in a password or something to activate the time rotors or motors or flux capacitors or whatever the hell ran the thing. Yeah, and even in the 60s, you, you that one... You had no idea how the thing worked or what powered it, but at least they talked about that crystal. That that was that was part of the component. We this thing, we have no idea what's running that. He's got it built, but he can't use it until he gets a uh, power module from another department. Mm-hmm. And the power module comes a month early, which is what gives him the opportunity to test his machine. It is no bigger than a at the time, transistor radio. <laughs> at well, when you think of a power module, I'm thinking of a module that provides power mm-hmm. to the machine. That's how I understood. I don't know what was packed in that little box. <laughs> a lot more than I was expecting. Apparently, Mega Corporation has found a way to miniaturize atomic uh, fuel. The year is not mentioned. We do not get to see the year, so we do not know if it was like 301, 602, if I if I got that right. Yeah, I, the counter went into the 3000s, and that's as much as we got out of it. Right. Um, but we do find, you know, this paradise and, you know, pretty blonde people running around. The Eloy in this one are a lot more articulate, mm-hmm. and they act a lot like and I say modern, 1978 modern, mm-hmm. young people. And these are the type... I, I think you could go to San Francisco's Hippie Hill in Golden Gate Park 
and see people just like this. Future? Or did you just take a trip to... (laughs) (laughs) You went to the park. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You found yourself on a hippie commune. Yeah, it, it departed from, like, the Eloy we met in the prior film, where they don't speak or barely speak, and they come off far more childlike, um, completely innocent, unaware unaware of each other, almost. Yeah. Um, it, it is a, a little otherworldly. It's not... They're not humans like he knows humans. And these, hey man, peace, love. <laughs> that, that's all. That's all we got out of these. Right. Yeah. Not. Not impressive. And then the uh, the Morlocks, they look like the Blue Man Group gone bad. <laughs> they they do indeed. And um, I pick on this all the time um, from just about anything. Um, but I mean, the Morlocks are supposed to be people. They're uh, that they. They're, they're just, they've lived underground. Why do they grunt? <laughs> Why don't they have any power language. of speech or language of any kind? Even if it's not the language that the, everybody else speaks. But why are they all growling and grunting and behaving like animals? Especially since they're the ones with the actual technology. Because we'd have to, because they'd have to pay the actors more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We couldn't afford to have any more SAG credit in here. <laughs> right. You're getting paid scale, and that's it. We can list you as extra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you yeah. are more like number 10. Don't get above your station, pal. I mean, and that was one of my complaints about the prior Morlocks, but at least they had kind of almost devolved. Uh, they became cave people. There was machinery but not computer machinery not not um not laser butter knives like these guys had um mm-hmm. yeah the, the 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 blue long white-haired morlock was a way different morlock than these were yeah these were big blue bald guys in um overalls in overalls yeah but I mean, these guys had computer banks on the walls. They had, right. they had their itty bitty lightsaber thing that they ran around stunning people with. I was expecting a little more evolved. <laughs> well, we are dealing with we're we're comparing a major motion picture in 1960, right, with a film that was done on a TV movie budget. There is a big difference in the amount of money that was thrown at these two films. I mean, we have to give that... We have to admit that. We do, yeah. But on that note, maybe this is the kind of story that shouldn't be told on a TV movie budget. And they should have known going in, they weren't going to be able to provide anything to the viewers that was really going to be anything that didn't look like a TV movie budget. <laughs> I mean, some of the sets, uh, they go to the the museum. Mm-hmm. You know, they're at some park with that has 
monuments and buildings or whatever and they go into the one that supposedly takes them into this museum and we see a little electric car and then like the little bit of voiceover mentions how this entire museum seems to be dedicated to reminding people of all the weapons of the past or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's just a big white soundstage. Yeah. With a few, you know, guns and other odd things lying around. Including Neil, Neil Perry's laser death ray. Uh, with a placard that actually says laser death ray <laughs> invented hey, hey. by Dr. Neil Perry. Hey, hey. A, a placard that we should also point out is clearly on like a three by five card. Um, yeah, and just been sitting there next to the laser death ray that no one's bothered to and, move or. And it's pristine. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been protected by all the dust. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no degradation in that paper. But I guess that museum it was important because isn't that where they get the who knows how old plastic explosives that they ended up using to destroy the Morlocks uh, tunnel system. And, and you know, museums are known for keeping live explosives (laughs) on display. I mean, honestly, if it was a matter, if if this museum was that good, maybe you want to pick up that laser death ray (laughs) for some personal protection. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they had fully functional C4. I mean, you might as well. That thing probably just needed to be polished, and you could have probably squeezed off a couple of rounds. Yeah, it's just, this suffers just from being, it's cheap. I mean, there's really no other word to describe it. It's its cheap. It is cheap. Uh, but, I mean, what tempts you to, to do this? I mean... There is a perfectly decent film from 18 years before that presumably most audiences would have either had access to at some point or might have had the chance to watch it. For God's sakes, they could have just re-aired that. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> this... I don't know how you watched it. Uh, I, I want to interject that in order to find a decent copy to watch... Um, There is none. There are none. (laughs) But the cleanest viewing that I could find actually was from that night. So on YouTube, I managed to find from the Chicago Channel 5 station for NBC, in its entirety, what was broadcast for that night. That includes news updates. That includes um, every commercial from 1978. That's pretty awesome. And and admittedly, as I made my way through this film that I remembered far more fondly and was becoming more disappointed by with every new scene, um, I started not skipping the commercials. <laughs> I couldn't resist sucking in a little of 1978 from, from back then. And it was, I found all of that far more fascinating than the film itself. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I mean, some of this has to do with the cast as well. Yeah. John Beck is an actor where I was sure I was going to look up his filmography and say, ah, that's where I've seen him from before. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. I couldn't come up with anything. 
But he's one of those actors that has shown up in nearly everything through the 70s and going into the 80s. So I'm guessing I've just seen him multiple times on different shows. And that's why he seems really familiar. Or he just reminds me of someone else in the 1970s that probably all looked like this guy. But I don't know if he truly acts. There's moments when he's sitting in his time machine watching the eons go by and he looks mildly interested. <laughs> I mean, it's a bit deer in the headlights. Huh, look at that. Tap, 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 space bar, control, alt, delete. <laughs> Let's, oh, look at that. That's interesting. Interestingly enough, looking through his filmography, he actually is in a Time Cop film. Oh, is he? From 2003. He acted, I think, well up into the 2000 teens. Uh, yeah, his last credit that I've been seeing here was for a short in 2009. Okay. So. Um, I thought I saw somewhere where he was in uh, Star Trek The Undiscovered Country as a waiter. Uncredited. <laughs> so, take that as you will, IMDb. I don't know. But it made me want to go back and watch Undiscovered Country to the... I'm, there's only so many scenes where it could have actually been... I, I think there's only one scene where that could have been. It makes me want to go back and watch that, that moment and see if I can spot him. He, he was in a Deep Space Nine episode. Yes, he was. He, so he does have some Star Trek credit. There you go. If he doesn't still have the 70s stash, though, I don't know if I'm going to recognize him. Priscilla Barnes as Weena. I think this is probably just before her stint on Three's Company. She's Priscilla Barnes in a uh, in a toga. <laughs> she's she's attractive. She's nice. She's not the world's best actress, and I, she's not given much to do. No, none of them are really given a whole hell of a lot for the story that this could have been. And we know it has been right. 1960. Uh, no one's given very much to do. Oh, and that's where I was going with the fact that I watched this the way they that I did. This was supposed to be NBC kicking off a series of movies related to um, classic literature. Oh. So this was supposed to be their foyer into that. I don't know if this was the the first and only, or, <laughs> or 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 if it sat somewhere in a series, or they just rolled that out like this is going to be a thing we're going to do, but then they never actually did it. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw a sentence somewhere where it was saying that this was intended to be a more faithful plot re- recreation of the original novella. And I'm thinking, where? At what point is this more faithful to the original novel? Compared to the 1960 version, you compare either of those two films to the the novel. I mean, the 1960 is practically a word for word compared to this thing. (laughs) Quite. Right down to megacorporation. (laughs) Because, you know, I remember that fondly that H.G. Wells came up with megacorporation. (laughs) Right. This was consummate late 70s TV. It just... Yeah. It, this could have been the pilot of a series. Yeah. No, this was... I, yes, this was frankly late 70s, early 80s. I mean, if you understand what I mean, this was Knight Rider. This was A-Team. This was Chips. Now, now. Now. 
you're 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 messing with the classics. <laughs> but no, you're you're not wrong. They, 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 I, I think all these things that I've mentioned, just like you remember watching this film and you had fond memories of. Mm-hmm. I think if either of us went back and watched Chips, <laughs> you, we might have fond memories of watching Eric Estrada. <laughs> Uh, 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 you know, straddling his Harley and saving people on the hi- on the California highways. I think we'd be mightily surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I- I've caught a couple of uh, scenes from some Knight Rider episodes recently, and I- I'm still saying that's that's gold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying I don't want a car like that, <laughs> but right, this was unnecessary. It didn't need to be made. There was a perfectly good film, like, literally, they could have just slapped in the time slot and show, mm-hmm. re-shown that, and audiences would have been just as appreciative of that as they would have of this. Because um, it didn't, it, for being the modern era of 1978, uh, it didn't add it all that much to to the experience. Um, by the way, you all be interested knowing, at least in this version... Um, all of those dangerous weapons that he was creating, they go off in 2025. Yeah. So yeah, I saw that. We're almost there, folks. Hang in there. 2025, we the entire world turns into the uh, salt flats. Yeah. Fair warning. Something happened that robbed the oxygen. You know, he that was another thing his his fancy computer could do was actually read the atmosphere. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was pretty nifty. Uh, at least uh, the other time machine, he had to slow down long enough to feel the effect of uh, of what was going on around him. Right. He, none of them ever thought to put on like a hood or doors or anything. Yeah, that's. That is an interesting aspect of um, both the Time Machine movies is the fact that they are perfectly comfortable with the idea of transversing the fourth dimension. With the top down. Yeah, yeah, in a convertible. (laughs) Seems perfectly safe. Time Vortex, I'm sure there's no... Radiation, you know, no, nothing. Should be fine. No. I, I did appreciate that uh, this one also had the li- the little toy um, time machine in it too, and once again the proof of concept was to watch your toy disappear forever. Look, it, it traveled somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. You didn't mention it. it's a TV movie, so I don't know if there's anything to way of reviews or anything for this one. No, I mean nothing that you wouldn't get out of uh, that isn't a little more modern. But no, uh, uh, like even out on a wiki page related to that, there was something in here about critical responses. And uh, it mentioned a film critic, David uh, Sindelar. I don't even, they don't have it sourced. And since it's wiki, uh, Wikipedia, Lord only knows if it's real. But it says uh, he says he defends the film against the accusations that it departs entirely from the novel. I like uh, I don't know what that was based off of. He states that 
the film's anti-war message was done better and more subtly by the George Paul film. George Paul, right? Yeah, the yeah. 1960, yeah. Yeah, th- that that's absolutely accurate. And then Sindelar uh, pokes fun at Perry's adventures in colonial America and the California gold rush and feels the Eloy appear and act too much like contemporary American young people. So you nailed it. Yeah, well, yeah. He's not wrong. No. Uh, so that's as much as uh, I could dig up related to any critical response, and I can't verify that. <laughs> so, right. But all on par, although, uh, yeah, I don't know where he gets the... I don't know if that was incorrectly worded or where this guy actually defends that it uh, it was a little more um, in line well, with the novel. But I. I won't say it departs wildly, but it departs. Uh, yeah, it's definitely not a faithful adaptation by any stretch of the imagination. Fairly certain anything related to those first two time jumps were not, no. not part of the novel. No, no, not at all. Well, we've got at least one more Time Machine movie to look at. Uh, we'll save that for later in the year. Yes. That maybe that'll be a we'll visit that in the fall, perhaps. We'll let the taste of this one uh, <laughs> dissipate. <laughs> yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna need a, a months of palate cleansing. Yes. Well, I don't know if our next film is gonna be a palate cleanser or not. <laughs> and why not? <laughs> <laughs> because it's from the mid '80s, <laughs> and we're gonna look at 1985's My Science Project. This movie, I know I watched it sometime. <laughs> I'm guessing probably 87-ish, you know, 86, 87, whenever it came to home video, rented from the mom-and-pop video store. Mm. That's my only memory of it. I just know that I've watched it and that it exists and that there is time travel or time something elements to it. Okay. So... And folks, keep in mind, 1985 is also the same summer that Back to the Future came out. But no, we're going to do my <laughs> my science project. I'm sure this is not a cash grab by a f- rival studio. No. Not, that would be ridiculous. That, no, it's never happened. Never happened. No, this is, no. This is entirely put out based on its creative merits. Exactly. <laughs> a and cinematic ex- masterpiece. And we're going to explore those merits in two weeks. Indeed. (laughs) So, until then, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Tom, thanks very much. I'm sorry this wasn't, uh, didn't live up to your memories. The the time-traveling iron wasn't as cool as I thought it was. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, It's late, and it's time to go. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) See ya. (laughs)